0: Black we- wealth, culture, legacy Welcome to the Black Wealth and Culture Podcast Culture, culture, legacy C- Culture, black, black wealth, black, black wealth, legacy Black wealth, wealth, culture, legacy Welcome to the Black Wealth and Culture Podcast. This is our second episode. I am your host, Johnny King. I am here with the beautiful Wealth Care MP, my lovely wife, Dr. LaTanya King. Hello, hello. We have a great show for you today. This is our second episode, but we're very excited. Uh, Our podcast is designed to educate, celebrate, and inspire those of us who need it. On a daily basis, which is all of us, right? Um, this is Black History Month, so today we want to take some time to celebrate some of the um, impactful things that our people have done in our community, both recently and throughout history. We have several topics today that we want to talk about, so we are excited to be here with you today, and we look forward to sharing this information with you today. We have on. The topics for discussion we will talk about the amazing, amazing accomplishment of our alma mater, right? Tennessee State University, the Grammy Award-winning accomplishments of the Aristocrat of Bands. AOB.
1: Uh,
0: yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're gonna talk about the impact of the Divine Nine, what the Divine Nine has had in our culture. Yeah, and. Um, we're going to highlight some other great feats and accomplishments uh, in black history this month. Uh, we'll also talk about um, our hearts, like real life bodies. Our hearts, February Heart Health Month. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, That's all up Dr. King's alley. And then we'll end with some um, very positive book recommendations uh, for you to follow. But uh, thank you for being here today. We're just going to go ahead and get started right away into the episode. Um, The first thing on the agenda is discuss uh, something that is right here in our backyard. It's happening to us. And it is not Tanya and I, Dr. King and I, you know, individually, but um, our alma mater Tennessee state university um, this month, earlier this month, February, 2023, created black history by becoming the first marching band to ever win a Grammy Award for the best roots gospel album. Yes, yes. yes. Big shots out. Big yes, shots yes. out to TSU AOB, to uh, all of the band directors, all of the students there, all of the band members, the drum majors. Um, you know, my frat brother, the, uh, Reginald McDonald. Uh, shout out to Reggie McDonald. Shout out to Larry Jenkins, Professor Jenkins. For all the hard work that you guys put in over the past few years putting this um, award winning uh, event together.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I'm very, very excited about this. Um, I went to Tennessee State University. Of course, um, those of you who don't know, I was a member of the Aristocrat of Bands. And so this felt like a win and award for me as well. Um, During the time when I was there, I didn't play an instrument. I was a sophisticated lady, which is uh, a majorette for the band. And so Mm -hmm. um, this was very impactful because I remember always feeling like, yes, there were other HBCUs or historically black colleges and university bands who were very good in their own right. But I remember traveling with the band and performing with uh, celebrities and everywhere we went, We were always a staple of the community, and there was always something special about us. And, of course, our band, we are called the Band of First. And so um, I would like to run down some of the firsts that we have done. Um, Of course, we were the very first HBCU to appear on national television, And this was during the 1955 Rams versus Bears NFL game halftime show. And the band was also one of the first HBCUs to perform at the presidential inauguration for John F. Kennedy in 1961. And of course, they did go back when Obama was in office. So I was uh, very, very excited to see that. Uh, we were also the very first HBCU to be appointed by the NFL in 2002 as an official band for the Tennessee Titans. Yes, sir. Yes, so, sir. So, um, you know, the list kind of goes on and on, but I am very, very excited about that. And one of the things that I'll share being a majorette and being in the band, period, it's very exciting. You're on the fifty yard line, and it's entertain you know it's entertaining, and that's how a lot of people see us. But I think the part that is missed is it takes a lot of grit and grind mm-hmm. to be in the band. Like you have two a day practices, um, and then, a lot of people don't know this, but every week you have to fight for your spot. Yeah, <laughs> you so know, the major res we used to call it joke jilk, jilk, or get your spot took because you had to <laughs> you had to literally try out every um, Friday before the game to compete for your spot. So it did, it it took a lot of discipline, teamwork. um, And I I think a lot of people kind of missed that aspect of it. So I just wanted to bring that part up and of course, mental toughness. And so I'm so, so proud of the aristocratic bands and all of the administration for um, this huge accomplishment. Yes.
0: Yes. I remember, um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have the fortune like you did, uh, being a um, member of AOB, uh, but you know, being a member of the TSU community for sure, and being involved in uh, campus activities. Um, you know, I was closely tied to them. Uh, what I one thing that I do remember uh, specifically was, you know, being a freshman in Watson Hall, mm-hmm. and you know, they used to practice right outside on the field across the street That's from right. Watson Hall, so. You know, four or five o'clock in the morning, uh, you getting woke up with horns and drums (laughs) and, you know, and that was a regular thing. So, um, you know, that that was part of the culture. You just you just dealt with it. You knew that on certain days early in the morning, you was going to hear horns and drums and oh, well, hope you got some sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, And so uh, I'm just so proud of TSU as well. The iconic release of the album, The Urban Hymnal, was produced by TSU's own Larry Jenkins. Uh, Prof. Jenkins, shout out to you. Uh, also co-produced by uh, Sir the Baptist, a world-renowned artist, you know, singer and songwriter, and also co-produced by real-renowned producer Dallas Austin. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, this was oh, a... Huge. This was a... Uh, iconic release uh, for you know, for the gospel community, for black colleges, HBCUs, and specifically for TSU. And not only did win one Grammy that night, but they won two. They won a Mm -hmm. second Grammy for their work on Jay Ivey's spoken word album, his Mm -hmm. spoken word poetry album called the poet who sat by the door. Uh, So shout out to congratulations to Jay Ivey. Ivey. Congratulations to AOB TSU AOB for making history by not only becoming the first to win in this category, but to win two in one night is an amazing feat. Uh, so again, we want to congratulate you. Uh, you know, you're part of another a layer of rich history in Nashville. Uh, you know, just, you know, a few years ago, just up the street, Fisk University is right up the street from TSU. And they won a Grammy um, for Best Roots Gospel Album in 2021 for their release of uh, an album called celebrating Fisk. So um the roots are right here. Right here. John A. Merritt Boulevard, baby. John A. Merritt Boulevard. <laughs> yes, yes. Nashville, Tennessee. So again, shout out, congratulations, and uh we look forward to much, much more history making moments uh with the aristocrat of bands. Oh
1: yes, definitely.
0: All right, so on to the next uh we also want to takes a moment to discuss um, the impact that the Divine Nine the Divine Nine has had on our culture and if you're unfamiliar with the Divine Nine and what the Divine Nine is, it is a grouping it is a collective of all of the black Greek letter organizations on college campuses in America okay Um, and so uh, the Divine Nine was something that came together for the common purpose Each individual sorority, each individual fraternity has their own um, ideals and their own missions and their own values. But collectively, all of our missions and all of our values are very similar and they are to support and uplift and provide service and advocacy for the communities that we are part of. OK, um, and it starts off when we're young and we're on college campuses and we once we graduate, it doesn't end. We extend that service. We extend all of our abilities and our gifts and our talents to our communities throughout our lifetime. OK, mm-hmm. a divine nine. When you become a, a, a member of fraternity or a sorority, black Greek letter fraternity for sorority, um, it doesn't just stop when you graduate from college.
1: Yes, yes. You know, there there is something distinctive about um, being in sorority or fraternity at a HBCU historically black college or university, um, you know, it's a commitment for life. You know, I know that's a little bit different. I, you know, at, um, PWIs at predominantly white institutions. I remember, um, having a colleague of mine (laughs) and she was a part of a sorority for, at a PWI and she's like, Oh, you know, like theirs end after college, she said, as far as like their membership and things like that. But it's a commitment for life. You know, regardless of the sorority or fraternity that you're in, the one thing that I wanted to point out is that we are all striving for the same thing. Absolutely. And we're all striving for the common purpose of uh, high scholastics and ethical standards. That's all of our purpose. Um, and to nurture Leaders in our community, so um, that that's the main reason why I brought this up. And I told Johnny, I said I wanted to mention the Divine Nine, and during this month and mm-hmm. during this season.
0: Mm-hmm. And and for those of you who are really kind of um, not so sure why the Divine Nine exists, how they existed, why they even started, um, I want to just give you a very very brief mm-hmm. um, historical reference to give you some context as to why the divine nine even has a place in black history and black culture. Okay. And just to let you know, the divine nine exists uh, and is made up of nine black Greek letter organizations. They are alpha phi alpha fraternity. They are Omega Psi Phi fraternity. They are Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity, IOTA, Phi Theta fraternity Mm -hmm. and not to disrespect the sisters at all, but for the uh, ladies, the sororities are Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority Delta Sigma Theta sorority Mm -hmm. Zeta Phi Beta sorority sisters in the blue and white Mm -hmm. and um, uh, Sigma Gamma Rho. Yes. So, Uh, Please forgive me. I know I I have a sister in each one of those organizations, and I (laughs) I have a brother in each one of those organizations. So please forgive me if I if I chopped it and screwed it up because that's not (laughs) the intent. All right, but I do want to read a quick excerpt, okay, from uh, what is called our history volume in Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, Incorporated. Some of these things are kept very secret and near and dear to our hearts, but there was a there was a reason why the Divine Nine started, okay, and I think understanding that reason gives. each of you a, a, a better sense and an idea of what what the imper- importance of um, these black Greek letter organizations are and why they uh, were started. But in chapter one of our history volume, um, Alpha Phi Alpha's history volume, I won't go too deep, but I will read this. It says, at the opening of the school year, 1905-1906, at Cornell University, Ithaca, New York, which is where Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity was founded, A group of black students distributed in various colleges of the university were desirous of maintaining more intimate contacts with one another than their classroom study permitted. They often met in groups during the autumn of 1905 and talked amongst themselves of the possibilities of closer contacts. Different students among them took the lead in calling these meetings, which were informal in every detail. As black students in a large American university, They were cut off from many opportunities for mutual helpfulness that come from groups of students through personal acquaintance and close association. As individuals, they had personal contacts of value within the student body, but as a group, they were proscribed in their associations, which basically means individually they did things in amongst the campus, but collectively, as a group of black students, They were totally separate. They did not have associations with one another because they were spread out throughout the campus. Now, the characteristic of this period laid the basis for the division even in college life. Many of these students were Mm self-supporting and their resources were limited. And if membership in the university fraternal associations had been permissible, meaning if they had been invited to be part of the fraternal organizations that already existed, then they would have done so. Confronted by the social prescriptions of color common to American institutions of this era, hampered by limited means with the attendant circumstances of the average poor student, these students faced the future, boldly endeavored to find a way out of their difficulties, scarcely realizing, however, the importance of their action on subsequent generations of college students. So, in other words, um, I'm I'm going to end it with that, but in other words, there were on a con a campus in 1905 1906 during the years where it was still segregated. Okay. College, uh, Cornell university in Ithaca, New York, an all white institution. Imagine, Only a handful of black students Mm -hmm. who were admitted to that school and who hardly ever saw each other because they were studying different things. Yeah. And they weren't permitted most of them to live on campus. So they weren't on campus a lot. So when they did see each other, it was very rare in passing and crossing, you know, campus and things like that. And in an environment such as that, you know, you want to be able to have people that you can study with, that you can relate to. Think about being a college student and not having any friends that you can talk to. Right. So now, you know, the small group of black students that are on this campus decided, you know, if we want to be able to have these similar associations that we see the white Greek letter associations do, then we need to create something that we can, you know, that we can join together and study together and learn together and associate with one another and even enjoy time outside of school to one another and help each other grow. Uh, And that is the whole purpose and backing of why Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity was founded and how conversely the other back Greek letter organizations who most of them were founded on the campus of Howard University, how they established.
1: Yes. Yes. So, um, like, like Johnny said, you know, during this time black students were not allowed to join Greek organizations in the early 1900s during segregation. So that's what led to, um, uh, you know, like you said, the development of sororities and fraternities. one of the things that I wanted to mention is like when you're a part of these organizations, it goes beyond the step shows that you see and you know all of that is fun. I was actually our our stepmaster, but um it's really all about the community, and it goes even beyond that you know it their professional relationships that's developed, you know, out of being a part of these organizations as, as well. But it, I just wanted to bring up that it goes way beyond a step show or just being a part of some something else. During this time, I know, uh, AKA's or with Alpha Kappa Alpha, we have a documentary out there that's on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, it's a wonderful documentary. It really dives into what was going on at that time during voting mm-hmm. and the suppression of voting rights for, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for black people. And I even learned something myself, and I'm pretty studious, but I really learned something myself, at, you know, just watching that documentary. And I developed a deeper sense of appreciation for not only my sorority, but for all, you know, sororities, Deltas, Zetas, you know, everybody, mm-hmm. you know, although we all have the same, Roots, which is to help our community, um, you know, we all have different, you know, different missions and visions, but sure. I just developed a different appreciation for that. And it goes far beyond just the the step show that, that you may see.
0: Absolutely. I mean, even to the extent of making national and worldwide impact, uh, for example, um, one of the most prominent Uh, Members of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated is the great brother, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, he was a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. As far as we're concerned, he is and will always be a member and will always be our brother. Um, And so his impacts made upon the entire world, specifically, though, more so in the United States, were heavily supported. By his brother by his brothers the brotherhood our brotherhood of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity incorporated uh and so we take a lot of pride in having you know direct and immediate impact on the state of the state of you know things in the United States as it relates to racial equality and civil rights
1: yes and I would be remiss if I did not say this during this podcast I am yes, so <laughs> I am so proud of Three sisters who now have leadership roles at Tennessee State University. I'm not even going to try to state their positions, but Crystal Powell Roach. Hey, I am so proud of you. Um, she has a position. Shout out to Crystal, yes, and um, Debbie Howard.
0: Oh man, yes. Shout out to, to Debbie. Debbie.
1: She has a um a prominent position there in leadership, mm-hmm. and I'm so so proud of. Tarea Vassar. Hey. <laughs> all three of these ladies are a part of Delta Sigma Theta yes, Sorority yes Incorporated. So I'm so proud of all of you. And I say that because it just, it made my heart smile. Um, I went to nurse practitioner school there. And I remember when I was finished, I was, I wanted to work at the nursing school. I just, that's just one of the things that when you talk about what sparks you and what what your ideal job would be. For me, of course, I love being an entrepreneur out, outside of the day-to-day as a nurse practitioner, but I always had the desire to go back and work at Tennessee State University. Mm-hmm. Now, I am a Nashvilleian, North Nashville, Bordeaux. I'm a bottle, bottle as we say. But um, I'm just so proud of you guys. And who knows, maybe I will... Um, work there one day or volunteer as I love to do to do something but I just wanted to, to to just say how you know I don't even know what you want to call it but just to talk about the history of the divine nine mm-hmm. what the general purpose is I think that these three wonderful ladies definitely shows how it turns all the way around and mm-hmm. they're coming back to do the work so I'm so proud of all of both, all three of you guys
0: yes absolutely absolutely so I'm super proud of those ladies um I know each of them as well um I'm married to an aka very happily married um but I was a delta boat too Delta so. Bo. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Debbie and Crystal and Terea Vassar uh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. all the things that they're doing <laughs> yes yes yeah. absolutely so all right um and moving on Moving on, uh, you know, there's a lot to uh, unpack when we start talking about the Divine Nine. This conversation could go on forever, really. Um, There's so many people of influence in each of these organizations that have made impacts on American society and civilization. um, That is just uh, it it would take probably 10 episodes to really outline all of the major impacts. Um, So. And then, you know, we would also be fully remissed if we didn't acknowledge my sister, her sorority sister. OK, yeah, vice right. president.
1: Yes, yes. I'm <laughs> sister Kamala sure you didn't leave that Harris. Out. Yes. <laughs> excuse, excuse, yes. Yes. So I told John that we were thinking about what we're going to talk about. It's just so much to talk about this month. I had to, like, I just had to take some things away. But I said I would be remiss if I did not talk about Vice President Kamala Devi Harris. So she is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. Yes. So (laughs) I had to definitely talk about her. Um, So just briefly, I will give a little bit of historical fact. Um, She was born October 20th, 1964 and she is a politician and an attorney who is the 49th and current vice president of the United States. So she is the very first female vice president and the highest ranking female official in the, the United States history, as well as the first African American and Asian American vice president. So she just a little bit of her background, uh she previously served as the Attorney General of California between 2011 and 2017 as the United States Senator representing California during that time. And the reason I wanted to bring this up, I was actually living in California during this time. My husband Johnny is from the Bay Area and she actually did her speech (laughs) right there in the Bay Area. I was working but I was like, gosh, I wanted to go. But she was actually born in Oakland, California, and she went to Howard University. Shout
0: out to the Bisons. Shout out, y- to sister, yeah, Shout out to my sister, April.
1: Shout out to April.
0: She graduated from Howard University some years ago.
1: That's right, and so did Vice President Kamala Harris. So she attended uh, Howard University, and then she went to the University of California, Hastings College of Law. And she actually began her career in uh, Alameda County uh, in, the, as, in the district attorney's office before being recruited to the San Francisco district attorney's office. So during this time, I was actually working in Alameda. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't even know what, Ala, what it, Alameda is. And it's a little island right there beside Oakland. Mm-hmm. So I was working during this time. And I remember feeling so proud. Um, of course, I was the only person of color working as a provider in my clinic, which the which is not unusual for me. But I, re, but I remember, I actually wore paraphernalia to work that day. I had my stethoscope on my neck. I was seeing my patients, but I was so proud um, during that time because Vice President. Kamala Harris. She's never been shy about sharing her love for her alma mater, Howard University, and of course, her beloved sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, Incorporated. So I, so you know, a lot of people begin to like what begin to know about Alpha Kappa Alpha and sororities. And so I remember, I did wear my pink Chuck Taylors that day, and I had my (laughs) my square pants on and my AKA shirt, but. Um, I, I remember feeling really, really proud during that time.
0: Hey, no matter how you chalk it up, there's strength and there's power in numbers, and every single one of the ladies of the pink and green went out to vote to make sure that Kamala got that position so you better believe it yes we did that's that's just how it goes that is how it goes so again we want to take that time to celebrate all those amazing people individuals organizations those universities HBCUs um you know TSU Fisk University I mean there's been some amazing, amazing, great things that have happened in our in our culture and amongst our people over this past year or so, um, including something that just recently happened. Very mm-hmm. recently, Black History was made this month. Now, it's not in the area of politics. It's not in the area of academics, but it kind of is. We're going to talk about it for a second. But it is in the area of sports, right? Mm-hmm. We all love sports. Sports is just a part of our culture. You know, a lot of our uh, prominent leaders or people who are looked up to as leaders in our community have been athletes.
1: Yes, Uh, I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to to cut y'all, but I forgot to mention this. I would be remiss to talk about Fisk University and what happened with them recently making history. So, Fisk University. Right here in Nashville, Tennessee, is the first historically black university to have an intercollegiate women's gymnastics team. So that is huge. Oh, my God. I did not even
0: know that.
1: Yeah. So I was just sitting here thinking, like, I know I'm forgetting about something. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. So
0: That is very huge. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So normally you would think about the colleges like UCLA and Mm -hmm. those types of colleges. But I just wanted to say that to all my Fiskites. So go ahead. I forgot. But I just had to to make sure that I mentioned that. And that is huge right here in Nashville, Tennessee. Absolutely. That's mm -hmm.
0: some, you know, possibility right there for some black girl or black boy magic, you know, that, 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 that that might be available. That wasn't available at HBCUs before. That's
1: right. That's huge. That's
0: amazing. Like Mm -hmm. most, most of us who have been gymnasts had to go to a white institution in order to, you know, compete at those levels. Yes. Um, I
1: I was a gymnast. I didn't go very, very far, but I did take gymnastics and, and, and that that's huge. So um you can go ahead and here we go. Let's talk about hey, sports. But but yeah, we're gonna get back <laughs> let's get
0: back on a, a sports train. But that's shout right. out to shout out to Fisk, man. That's that's, right. that's amazing. And that's, that's this is on you know, you just segued into it because gymnastics is in the sports world. So um look at me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um but back on, you know, this history that was made February this month in sports. Um, Mr. LeBron James. LeBron James. LeBron James. If y'all have kids, y'all go. As London would say. Yeah, Yeah. if you had kids, you know LeBron LeBron James. James. (laughs) Let's shout out to Mr. LeBron James. He deserves a huge hand of applause for multiple reasons. I felt
1: even emotional that night watching it.
0: Oh man, but for for, you know, breaking the all-time scoring record in the NBA, mm-hmm. becoming the NBA's highest scoring uh, leader of all time surpassing the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar mm-hmm. with over 3 uh, 38,000 points scored. I mean, such an amazing career this man has been playing for 20 years now, um, and is still going full speed. I just watched him last night play against my Warriors, and <laughs> we got stumped. And LeBron looked like he's 17. I
1: love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, yes,
0: yes. Uh, while Steph Curry's on the bench, but I can't wait for Steph to get back. That's He'll a whole another. That's a whole another story. <laughs> but LeBron James, man, we I know having the last name of King. Yeah. As soon as you were pronounced the king of the chosen one coming out of high school, I immediately had a gravitational pull towards you as an athlete, um, and so, you know. We also named our son, you know, um, London James King. Mm -hmm. And some of that inspiration was because of LeBron. That's right. Um, And so um, we, we are very proud of LeBron, what he's done on the basketball court, but more so than the points he scored, more so than the championships he's won. On the court, man, he has been a leader. He is uh he has stayed out of trouble off the court yes, uh he is yes. a, a very proud father very proud husband um and you know to me as a black man uh he represents at least out in public what the figure of a well-meaning uh human being a strong black man is and um you know with his school the i promise school mm-hmm. uh that he um, started in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. Um, I'm even more proud of him for doing that than what he's accomplished on the basketball court. You know, his numbers on the court will remain. And, you know, if he plays for three or four more years, he might set it so far away that nobody will ever break it. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know. But we thought that about Kareem's too. <laughs> and LeBron did it. But, you know, he's so humble, um, you know, and such a humble, you know, person um, that's also what I really like about him is he, he did it with grace. He did it with, you know, class. Uh, he did it with professionalism. And um, in relation to his school on and off the court, um, he's making an impact on younger generations. Um, his uh, I Promise School in Akron, Ohio, mm-hmm. was started uh, in like 2019, you know, and in 2022, this school became an official partner with Stark State college that allows students at his I promise school Mm -hmm. to attend their institution for free. So if you, if you went to I promise school Mm -hmm. and he only brings in kids from third grade to eighth grade. Uh So ninth, 10th and 12th grade, they're going somewhere else, not his I promise school. But after 12th grade, if you went from third grade to eighth grade to I promise school, Uh you can go to school to college for free at Stark state college. Um, in North Canton, Ohio. So I think that's a, a great yeah, that's great thing um, of of LeBron extending his reach as far out as it can go for the benefit of other people.
1: Yeah, that that's huge. Um, I thought of being a family nurse practitioner. When I I'm also a nursing educator and work have worked as a professor, and then I've also went back to my high school and worked as a CTE teacher, which is a career technical education teacher. So. What that does is, you are teaching students and preparing them for a career mm-hmm. outside of, you know, on that next level. And so it seems like with with LeBron and what he's doing with his school, having you know developing those relationships and having a plan out after high school is so huge. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that's what he did with this program and developing that relationship for a secondary education.
0: Absolutely. He, he, he's done that so much. So, and also realizing that, you know, um, there, there are kids and people who the trades, the trades need employees. The trades need business owners, mm-hmm. like, you know, mechanics of, of things, you know, cars and AC units and plumbing and construction and all those types of trades, hair, you know, hair design, all of that type of stuff, all those trades, you know, everyone is not, not on a path to go to college.
1: Who's going to do it,
0: but who's going to do the trades. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that LeBron James, I promise school is exposing kids to is some of the trades and options that are out there. If college is not your thing, because for everybody, college is not their thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And it doesn't have to be. In fact, I know some a lot of people who are so much more successful in terms of dollars at least and maybe how far they've gone in their career, um, than some of, you know, myself and some of my, you know, peers that have graduated from college. So the trades are very valuable and I think he's just given so many opportunities to so many kids, uh, coming out of Akron, Ohio. It's just a it's just a great thing. Just really great thing.
1: Yes, yes, it is. And um, before we finish, I meant to jump in when Johnny was talking about uh, as far as with LeBron personally. The one thing that I looked up to, or I thought that was very, very um, special, is how LeBron—he's only been married once, y'all, to his high school sweetheart—and I just think that is so special. Even, yeah, because, you know, since becoming a NBA superstar and a Hollywood power player he still has been with his wife, Savannah. So I've always, you know, admired that, you know, about LeBron.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and that's what I mean by, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of athletes that have done, you know, good things. But when you look at the total package of the human being that is the athlete, I don't know. and Maybe there are some, but African-American-wise, I don't know too many other athletes that i would place my son in front of and say if you're gonna be like any one of these athletes be like him it would be lebron james
1: or steph curry it's 17 years old who you know who you know Uh, juju and (laughs) treason right right. (laughs) shout out to juju and treason yeah okay okay 17 (laughs) yeah okay that's amazing i love it i love it
0: probably before that but Mm -hmm. um but yeah so Um, we're going to move on, but, uh, big props to LeBron James. Um, now as a basketball player for the Lakers, um, I have no care or concern about y'all winning another game, (laughs) but as far as you LeBron, I mean, I wish you all the best and all the success in your career. Um, you've done so many great things for so many people. If it means you got to beat my golden state Warriors to get you another chip, man, you deserve it, brother. You deserve it. Yes. All right, so uh, we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on, and just a couple more topics to talk to you about. But to, you know, February uh, this month in the medical field, as I'm That's sitting right. here with the healthcare MP.
1: That's right. MP
0: stands for Nurse Practitioner. Heart uh, Health Month. My my wife is a is a very well educated, very. Uh, well experienced doctor uh, in this area. It is Heart Health Month, so I'm going to turn it over to her. I got a question for you, though, Doc. Okay. Since we're talking about Heart Health Month, um, what is high blood pressure?
1: Yes, yes. So, um, I, I know this as far as heart health. There's so many things to talk about. We know the incident that recently happened with the hot, with the player on the football field. Oh, uh,
0: uh DeMar Hamlin.
1: Yeah. Okay. That had the cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about that and
0: Buffalo bills. Yeah. I just
1: wanted to say that if you don't know how to do CPR, you need to learn how to do CPR because it could very well be your loved one one day. Mm-hmm. I used to be a CPR instructor and I do know that the American Heart Association and there are other places out there that um, will teach you how to do CPR. If you can't find a place, you guys reach out to me. My handle on everything is at Dr. Latonya King. And I will be sure to, to direct you into the right place of, we're going to learn how to do CPR, but mm-hmm. um, with Heart Health Month, and I almost forgot this, I was going to talk a little bit about cholesterol and all these very detailed topics, but I wanted to take it back to the basics, which is high blood pressure, mm-hmm. or you may hear refer- referred to in our community as a little salt, of course. A little salt, a <laughs> or little maybe sugar. a little sugar, right? My sugar is high. That's right. My <laughs> my salt is high, right? But or or high, hypertension. So hypertension, high blood pressure, and it's important that you know those terms because when you you want to be informed when you're going into the doctor's office. So if you don't have a little medical notebook, you should definitely get one where you can write down your ideas, your thoughts, your questions. And your concerns before going into the doctor's office, because once you get into the office and we're talking to you and asking you questions, I know it can be a little bit intimidating.
0: Mm-hmm. It is for me every time. But and I'm married to a doctor. <laughs> she didn't tell doctor. me what to say, and I'm like, oh man, she didn't tell me how to answer this question. <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know what, what to say. say.
1: But the well, the one you thing that I do, me is, in here. yeah, I call myself the the bedside. <laughs> gymnast or the bedside master because i always position myself below my patient it's just a you know an act of humility and believe it or not
0: when you mean position you mean physically yeah
1: physically like sit so they're they're sitting on the the bed where i'm examining them i Mm -hmm. usually get in the stool and sit below them Mm. It, it just makes them open up more and talk a little bit more but anyway um I said I don't know how we end up talking about talking about that. Oh, we were talking about just how intimidating it can be when you go to your doctor's office, or you you can forget what you're going to even talk about. But it's important for you to be knowledgeable. So, when your doctors, we want to talk about hypertension. Um, hypertension, of course, in the lay community, we say lay, which is anybody that does not work in the medical community, is high blood pressure. And I know you're like what is high blood pressure, right? What does that actually mean? What's actually happening? Mm-hmm. So it, it, when your heart beats, it's pushing blood flow where? You know well, this. Through your veins. Through your veins, throughout Th- your through body. Through your heart, through your body. Throughout your body. And when the force of blood traveling throughout your blood vessels, it should be traveling at a very comfortable speed, right? You think about yourself on a highway. Mm-hmm. You're you going good, right? It's easy. You got your mute. You're going with the speed of traffic. But then when rush hour, you feel intensity, right? Mm-hmm. So, high blood pressure is when that force of blood traveling throughout your blood vessels is higher than it should be. Now, where this becomes an issue is because over time, this can damage the blood vessels and the organs that they carry the blood to. Right, you think about it, same thing with a car I don't know why I'm using a car analogy, but a car is <laughs> beat up over time, mm-hmm. kind of the same thing here. Mm-hmm. high blood pressure increases your risk of heart disease and stroke, and both of those are the leading causes of death in this country so the thing since we're talking about black wealth and culture, all things education hypertension is it's very common, right mm-hmm. very common. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, and this is probably nothing new, in the black communities, the rates are particularly high. So in the United States alone, more than half of black adults over the age of 20 have high blood pressure. More I'm going to let, let that sink in. Did you say more than half? I'm going to let that sink in. Yes. The, yes. In the United States, more than half of black adults over the age of twenty, have have high blood pressure. Hmm. You know, that's uh, a health disparity, right? That's why I wanted to bring this up. See, okay, you've been listening to me. I mean,
0: okay. I am married to a doctor. You <laughs> know, some of it set in.
1: So you know, for some, diet and exercise will be enough to keep blood pressure levels in the normal range. Others, you will need some medication to prevent serious complications of uh, blood pressure.
0: Okay. Well. All right, so how does a person know if they have, like, what's the indicators? Like, how would I know if I had high blood pressure?
1: Right, right. So, unfortunately, there are generally, oftentimes, there's no symptoms of high blood pressure. So, you can go for many years, not even knowing that you have high blood pressure. That's why it's often called the silent killer, Mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, Because the only way that you know is if you... Go get checked? If you go get checked, mm-hmm. that's why oftentimes I'm, walk, I got my little bag, but yeah, that's the only way so that's that the you purpose know. for
0: heart health month to remind you to go get your heart checked. Right. Right. So when we talk about high blood pressure, what is high blood pressure? What like, what is a normal blood pressure reading versus a high blood pressure reading? Like, I don't, I don't have no idea what numbers exist to tell me or how would a person know if their blood pressure is high other than a doctor telling them.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that's not unusual. I have a lot of patients They'll when I ask them for their blood pressure readings. They may give me the bottom number instead of the top number. So mm-hmm. your blood pressure is made up of two numbers. The top number in the medical community is known as the systolic blood pressure. And that bottom number is known as the diastolic with a D. You can think of D down under. This is how I teach but both numbers are important. And here's how you interpret your blood pressure. Normal blood pressure, both uh numbers, your systolic blood pressure should be below 120 and that bottom number should be below 80. Um, anything above that is considered elevated blood pressure. So there's different stages of high blood pressure, but I won't get into that. But depending on how high the blood pressure is or stage 1, stage 2 and stage 3, but I won't get into all of that right now.
0: Okay, so then why when you mentioned earlier that African Americans we have like the highest, you know, we have such a high uh percentage of our population that have high blood pressure, why are African Americans more prone to having high blood pressure than other people?
1: Unfortunately, it's kind of we can kind we can kind of speculate. It's kind of clear why that is. The case really is social and economic factors that increase the risk of high blood pressure. Yeah. Um, black people in our communities, unfortunately, we have the highest rates of poverty um, and of lack of lack of access to resources. You know, there's all kind of theories out there. There are theories that genetics may also contribute to the high rate of blood pressure in black people. But because of the physical stress, even go all, going all the way back to the slave trade, if you do some readings, that African-Americans with that history may have developed an ability to hold on to more salt in the body, even going back historically to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in order, you know, to the slave, you know, to a slave. That becomes a whole
0: deeper conversation.
1: In that case, it was because to survive extreme conditions. Mm-hmm. So take that in for a minute, mm-hmm. right? These Outside. are some theories and you can look at that, you know, that genetically, you know, if you t- you look at the physical stress during the slave trade and during that time, African Americans had to develop an ability to hold on to more salt in the body mm-hmm. to survive those extreme conditions. But anyway, in normal conditions, higher levels of salt in the body can lead to extra fluid and fluid will lead to high blood pressure.
0: All right. So if, all right, well, I got another question for you. If my blood pressure is high, if I go to the doctor and it's high, right, you know, the numbers, what? Above what would, that
1: 120 over 80, typically.
0: Does that what it is? 120 over 80? Mm-hmm. That's what it should be? Yes. Okay. So Below. what, what would I have to do? What would I need to do if my blood pressure is too high? How can I bring it down? What would a doctor normally recommend for me to do? Or what can I do without a doctor to help, help that?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I would like to make sure that everybody knows that you can get your blood pressure checked for free. Most pharmacies, they have where you can walk in to uh, get your blood pressure checked. Neighborhood Walmarts, they have the old school, you know, chair and where you can sit down and get your blood pressure uh, checked as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you are getting high readings you definitely want to notify your healthcare provider. Now, if it's, if it's early enough where you know that you have high blood pressure, you can be treated what we call the medical field conservatively, which is with diet and exercise without medication and checking your blood pressure and taking control of the situation. But even when medicine is used to treat high blood pressure, lifestyle management is still recommended. hmm
0: So eating right, drinking enough fluids, water water particularly.
1: Yes, and you want to be drinking at least half your body weight in ounces. Every day? Every day. Mm -hmm. Right, so if you weigh 200 pounds, you should be drinking at least 100 ounces of water.
0: Break the how many water how many twelve ounce water bottles is that
1: Well, a typical water ball- bottle bottle is sixteen ounces, so yeah you about seven or eight bottles yeah, a day yeah you the, that's
0: a lot of water, but you know,
1: but if you're drinking it with each meal, yeah. think about how much water I drink yeah that that's that's not that hard so um, I remember
0: when we went to uh when I was at the doctor uh, a couple years ago, one of the things that a doctor told me is one thing he does is first thing in the morning. Every morning, before he takes anything else in his body, he drinks an entire bottle of water, 16-ounce bottle of water, um, before he drinks coffee, before he kind of gets his day started to help flush toxins out and kind of get his body fluid. Is that, this sounds like a positive recommendation. I remember him telling me that.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Water, water, water is key. So um, what I wanted to make sure that, that you got from this is if you get it checked, because you may not have those symptoms, that's why it's called the silent killer. Mm-hmm. And then if it's, if it's high, you want to follow up with a doctor. And then of course, if it's too high, you want to seek emergency care. If you think you may be in a crisis
0: crisis, like what, like hi, uh, what, what is a hypertensive crisis?
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh hyper hypertensive crisis or high blood pressure crisis I'll give you the number. So that happens typically if your blood pressure is greater than 180 over 120. This is considered a medical emergency. Mm-hmm. And if it's left untreated, it could lead to death, although we may not want to to hear that. But um, this is pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Um You know, if your blood pressure reasons are are this high and you're experiencing symptoms like chest pain, shortness of breath, um, you may have blurred vision, tingling in the fingers, you want to call 911 right away. Mm -hmm.
0: And so um, I got one last question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do most African-Americans end up being diagnosed with high blood pressure? Like, I think we kind of touched on it, but... We did,
1: briefly. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, of course, the difference in exposure to the environment, our habits um, that we have, the difference between, you know, blacks and whites, you know, there is a big difference in socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. Our dietary habits... The what's known as food deserts, Mm -hmm. you know, that's where you are not in a close proximity to even go buy healthy vegetables and healthy foods. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my father lives in a food Food desert. desert. So that's why I'm, I I have to go there Mm -hmm. very frequently to make sure that he has the right food. So all of those things are stacked against us with the dietary habits, because the more you buying those processed foods, the higher the salt intake, the higher your blood, blood, blood pressure. pressure can be, and then of course there is stress, mm-hmm. it has to uh, yeah, and just our overall health behaviors.
0: So we really, we really need to watch what we eat. Mm-hmm. We need to drink more water. We need to reduce our stress levels, and we need to get regular checkups at the doctors to make sure that our blood pressure is not exceeding its normal limits for healthy uh, healthy living, right?
1: Yes, yes, and then. The last thing that I wanted to talk about was um, a look some blood work that you should be getting this this month. Like I want, I mean, not just this month, but it's very important during Heart Health Month. And I won't go into a lot of details because it's so much information. But some of the key things that you want to check to look at your heart health and your vascular health, or how well your vessels are is your cholesterol levels, which in the um, the health community is known as a lipid panel, Mm -hmm. and your metabolic health, which that is looking at a number called a hemoglobin A1C to look to see if you are prone to uh, diabetes. And so with your cholesterol levels, you have your total cholesterol and you have your good and bad cholesterol. And I like to explain it as H for happy and L for lousy because you have a HDL, which is your good cholesterol. So I call that H for happy and you have your LDL, which is your bad cholesterol. And that is lousy. And then you have your triglycerides. And so out of, all of these levels, I want to talk a little bit about triglycerides. Because when your triglycerides levels are high, it can lead to very serious consequences. So I thought I would share or talk a little bit about the uh, triglycerides. So triglycerides is the fatty substance in your arteries. But what happens with triglycerides, if it builds up, Too high, it can lead to something called pancreatitis. So, with pancreatitis, I'll go over some of the symptoms of pancreatitis, but let me back, 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 (laughs) and just explain what the pancreas is. The pancreas is a large organ that sits behind the stomach, and it produces these digestive enzymes and a number of hormones. But when your triglycerides levels are up too high, it can be detrimental. So I'll give some of the signs and symptoms of pancreatitis, and that's when your triglycerides levels are really high. You can have severe pain in your upper stomach that spreads all the way around to your back. So you want to make sure that you're paying attention to that. You can have nausea without any vomiting. Mm-hmm. That can also be a sign you can have fast <clears throat> heart rate um, as well. Now, the other test I mentioned is the hemoglobin A1C. And that test looks at your blood sugar over the course of a three-month period. Anything if you below 5.6, your if your A1C. Hemoglobin A1C is five seven to six point four. That is considered pre diabetes, mm-hmm. and to me, that's way more important than six point five and beyond. Because when you're in that phase of pre pre diabetes, mm-hmm. that's when you really should go all in to try to do something about it. Yeah and so before it gets out of hand before it gets out of hand so this is i'm this is why getting having these tests done are so important now some of the signs and symptoms that you could have low blood sugar is headaches confusion blurred vision and things like that so those are kind of some of the main things that i wanted to touch on today as far as the importance of getting your cholesterol levels checked and your triglycerides and really knowing about the triglycerides. Mm-hmm. And so, again, they're normal. <clears throat> triglycerides is a normal form of fat that's carried in the blood. But if they're high, it could indicate that you are at a high risk of cardiovascular, which is heart disease, and then pancreatitis, which can be very, very dangerous. And some of the things that lead to high triglycerides, I, don't, I probably don't even have to tell you, but it is poor diet excessive alcohol use, a lack of exercise, and um, obesity.
0: So it sounds like there is uh, a number of um, ways to detect the possibility of high blood pressure, but it also sounds more importantly that instead of trying to self-diagnose and detect whether or not we have diabetes or high blood pressure, that we should go to the doctor and get our blood pressure checked so that we can start doing something about it in cases reaching that that level that you mentioned is when we should start really paying attention to it and and forcing it downward,
1: right? That's right. That's right. And so some of the key takeaways, I know I talked, uh, I gave a lot of information is that I want you to know this high blood pressure is definitely not only more common but more severe and develops at earlier ages in African Americans. And lifestyle change can help prevent high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the first step. You know, getting that food journal. Right. Trying to pay attention to what you're eating. Or drinking. Or drinking. Getting an app for that, you know. And then, please know this, it is the silent killer because oftentimes you don't know until it's too late. So, the only way to know that you have a high blood pressure is to check it, okay? Mm -hmm. Current guidelines, we recommend yearly blood pressure screenings for African Americans that are 18 years and above. I mean, we,
0: you know, many of us in our communities know people who have, say, after a a Thanksgiving meal or something, you know, um, laid down and didn't wake back up, you Mm -hmm. know, and not knowing what the necessary necessary cause of that was, and it could have been related to high blood pressure. I mean, you know, we personally know people who've had those experiences, and um, you know, my heart goes out to those families who suffered that loss, but. Um, It goes to show the need for us to check those things. And I'm not saying that individual uh, passed because of high blood pressure, but uh, we definitely want to make sure that we we get checked out because in order for us to live our lives and enjoy our lives, we need to be healthy. You want to be healthy, enjoying your life, especially in our older age. We're 40, 49, 50 years old right now many of you listening are in our same similar age bracket right now is the time if we haven't been now is the time to really start paying attention to our health we Mm -hmm. have children we have we want to see their children you know we want to see them have children we want to see them graduate from college we want to see all the amazing things and we have a life that we want to live you know we spend all these years raising our kids and preparing them for college and you know we want to Retire and enjoy life and travel and build our dream home if we are not already living in it, you know, and all those things. And, you know, who wants to enjoy that? You know, going back and forth to the hospital three or four times a week, right? Let's let's enjoy it with a healthy heart. So let's get on it. February is Heart Health Month. Mm-hmm. Um, we thank you, Dr. Latanya King, for all of that uh, great information, um, and I'm sure that many of us out here uh, can use that information and also relate to the need for it. Uh, so we thank you for that. And before we go, we are very we are at the end of our podcast episode. We know it's been a lengthy one, but celebrating and inspiring and educating. Is what we do, is who we are as individuals. Uh, so we could do this for hours and hours. But we know your ears might be getting low tired. We're going to get, um, we do have uh, one last uh, thing that we really want to share with you, and those are some book recommendations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, we want to inspire you, we want to inspire our communities and our people to empower themselves with knowledge. Okay. To educate yourself. There are other, you know, tools and resources available for knowledge. But when you sit down and actually open a book to read it, or at minimum, download an app like Audible mm-hmm. and listen to a book being read to you, either way, if you get through an entire book in Audible, you can chalk it up that you've read that book. Because guess what? What really matters is the information that's contained in it. And so if it's being read to you and you're absorbing it, you've obtained the same information as if you would have opened the book and read it. Um, But we do encourage reading. We do encourage elevating our knowledge and elevating our uh, mindset, growing our mindset. That's the only way that our people as a culture are going to expand beyond our current borders, beyond our current walls. And, you know, our walls are only in our mind. You know, our walls are not yes there are some societal systemic you know roadblocks you know in every direction but the biggest roadblock is the one that we put on ourselves that says we're not capable we can't do that we've only you know we've come so far and that's as far as we can go and that's not true open your mind start exploring so with that said um, Dr. LaTanya has a book uh, recommendation and so do I Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just gonna start and I'm gonna let the doc finished it off uh, for the show, um, but the book recommendation.
1: Yeah, so. I'll well, I guess one, I won't start. I'll, yeah, let, her, I'll let her start. Know, I'll give mine first. Mine is a little light. So, um, and again, this is his. I'm also giving a little bit of history. So, believe it or not, there has been discrimination against the African American woman in, in our hair for years. Um, And so in 2019, there
0: was, yeah,
1: something implemented to ending hair discrimination. Mm -hmm. And that is a thing. And it was called the Crown Act. And I actually learned about this when I was in, we were living in California during this time. And it was some things that was going on at work and H.R., actually educated me about this about the crown act i was not aware but the crown act it was created in 2019 by dove and the crown coalition in partnership then it was state senator holly mitchell of california to ensure protection against discrimination based on our race our hair, and uh hairstyles and by extending statutory protections to hair texture and protective styles such so as braids, locks, twists, and knots in the workplace and public schools. And so, um, as I told you, that that was one of the reasons that I knew about it because um, you know someone in California was very instrumental in this act. And so, my book recommendation is called Twisted by Emma Dabari. It's Emma, E-M-M-A. Last name is Dabari. D is in David, A, B is in boy, I, R, I. And it's the Tangled History of Black Hair and Culture. And so I'll read this little bit on the back side just because I, I, I actually love this part. It says, Emma Dabari can tell you the first time she chemically straightened her hair. She can describe the smell, the atmosphere of the salon, and her mix of emotions when she saw her normally kinky tresses fall down her shoulders. For as long as Emma can remember, her hair has been a source of insecurity, shame, and from strangers and family alike, discrimination. And she's not alone. Despite increasingly liberal worldviews, black hair continues to be erased, appropriated, and stigmatized to the point of taboo. Through her personal and historic journey, Dubari offers insights into the way racism is coded in society's perception of black hair and how it is often used as an avenue for discrimination. Dubari takes us from pre-colonial Africa, Through the Harlem Renaissance and into today's natural hair movement, exploring everything from women's solidarity and friendship to the criminalization of dreadlocks to dubious provenance of Kim Kardashian's braids, through the lens of hair texture. Dabari leads us on a historical and cultural investigation of the global history of racism and her own personal journey of self-love and finally acceptance, acceptance. So that is what you get with this book. Again, it's called twisted by Emma Dabari, the tangled history of black hair culture.
0: Uh, it looks like a very interesting book. It also mm-hmm. looks like, you know, what, what you read on the back there, um, You know, when he talked about the uh, criminalization of dreads, um, you know, that doesn't apply just to females. Uh, That also applies to males Mm -hmm. uh, heavily. So, I mean, I haven't read that book. uh, My wife has, but... I imagine that there's things in there that even African-American males, uh, can relate to as it relates to the criminalization of dreads, um, you know, in, in our community. So thank you for that book recommendation. Uh, I think that's a great and worthy read, uh, for sure. And then, uh, lastly, before we end, my book recommendation, uh, is one for, for all, um, no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, um, You know, with it being Black History Month, I want to give uh, credence to you know an organization that was very impactful to our community, particularly in the Bay Area in Oakland, California, and that is the Black Panther Party. Okay, and there are so many misconceptions about who the Black Panther Party, who the members were, not uh, and what their uh, their aims and their goals were, what their missions were, what their values were. There is a book called The Black Panther Party: A Graphic Novel History by David F. Walker and Marcus Kwame Anderson. Um, it is a graphic novel, so it reads almost, you know, it's illustrated almost like a comic book. Uh, very, very good illustration. I mean, the artist here is is very good at illustrating these things. Um, and then the words in this book um, are very um, informational. Like, it's not a comic book. is not for the purpose of reading for entertainment. It is is actually for education but it's just written in a comic book form. It's presented in a comic book form which makes it easy to absorb. There's a lot here. This book is um, I haven't finished all of it but this book is almost 180 pages um, of illustrations and text that really give you a first degree, a look into the Black Panther Party Who they were, what they're about, and what they did, and I'll read this to give you an excerpt of what you would be reading when you read this book. Founded in Oakland, California, in 1966, the Black Panther party for self-defense was a racial political organization that stood in defiant contrast to the mainstream civil rights movement this gripping illustrated history explores the impact and significance of the panthers from their social educational and health care programs that were designed to uplift the black community to their battle against police brutality through certain patrols and frequent clashes with the fbi which targeted the party from its outset Using dramatic comic book-style retellings and illustrated profiles of key figures, the Black Panther Party captures the major events, people, and actions of the party, as well as their cultural and political influence and enduring legacy.
1: Okay. So tell the people where, because we're going to take pictures and put the book information on our website. Okay, so,
0: yes, you can follow us, uh, you know, this podcast is the Black Wealth and Culture podcast. Um, We currently are developing a Instagram site for the podcast, but right now we have uh, an Instagram site, Legacy Planning Partners. Um, That is our business arm of what we do. Uh, And you can uh, reach us on Instagram at legacy underscore planning underscore partners. Uh, We will put the uh, link to the book We'll put the link to the book, make a post, and put it on our post or in the link at the in the bio. So check that out for more information on these two books. Uh, If you're on Facebook, uh, we'll also take pictures of those books so that you can see what the covers look like and give you a visual reference for you. All right, all right. So, Dr. King, Dr. King, we are at the end of this episode. Any final words you want to say to the beautiful people out there in this world?
1: Your health is your wealth and so is your finances. Yes. You know, one of the topics is black wealth and culture. So different weeks, we'll focus on the culture. In some weeks, we will dive into more of the financial wellness aspect.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you know, we're, we're all things uplifting, all things growth all things legacy right and we look forward to coming back here and seeing you on uh our next episode we hope that you truly enjoyed this episode and you got something out of it uh once again we want to give our shout outs and congratulations Mm -hmm. to tennessee state university aob such a major historical moment Mm -hmm. i mean we're super proud i talk about it almost every day with somebody um at least since it's happened so um yeah, uh, very good things. Uh, we look forward to our next episode. is coming very soon. Uh, stay tuned. We will talk more about the financial end of establishing a legacy, creating a legacy, and what that looks like, and how to get started on a, a pathway to a solid financial plan for your retirement.
1: And again, until next time, you stay connected, you stay educated, and please be a part of your community and making a difference. We'll
0: see you next time. One love. Today's episode of the Black Wealth and Culture podcast was brought to you by Legacy Planning Partners. Legacy Planning Partners provides financial education and services to help families save more, earn more and pay less in taxes. Legacy Planning Partners is on a crusade to teach how money works and how you can take advantage of the powerful financial tools and resources available to you. As licensed, non-captive life and health insurance agents, Legacy Planning Partners leverages their relationships with over 80 different companies to provide you with a financial plan designed specifically to help you and your family reach all of your future and current financial goals. Visit www.flpp.life for more information. Today's episode of the Black Wealth and Culture podcast was brought to you by Legacy Planning Partners. Legacy Planning Partners provides financial education and services to help families save more, earn more, and pay less in taxes. Legacy Planning Partners is on a crusade to teach how money works and how you can take advantage of the powerful financial tools and resources available to you. As licensed, non-captive life and health insurance agents, Legacy Planning Partners leverages their relationships with over 80 different companies to provide you with a financial plan designed specifically to help you and your family reach all of your future and current financial goals. Visit www.flpp.life for more information.